The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. City Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. One stereotype I've heard more times than I can count is that everyone experiencing homelessness is either a drunk or a drug user. The way I've heard it said most often is with an air of moral superiority and a desire to dismiss the humanity of those being stereotyped. On this episode, I'm talking with Jen O'Neill and Catherine Smith from Volunteers of America. They share with me about the intersection of homelessness and substance use as well as why relationship is therapeutic. Here's our conversation. That I have yet to cross And I have dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over Uh, I'm Jen O'Neill. I'm the clinical supervisor with supportive housing at VOA Alaska. I've been here for roughly 10 months, but I have a little over 17 years experience in community-based behavioral health settings, particularly working with transition age youth. So youth who are 14 to 24 years old, um, who have behavioral health challenges, whether that's substance use or mental health concerns. I'm Katherine Smith. I am a peer support um, case manager with VOA's Supportive Housing. Um, I've only worked here since the end of May. Um, I did work at a residential facility before that, but I am am a person who has been in long-term recovery for five years, um, and my addictions and things started probably 10 plus years ago. Um, So I've been on that side of everything. Great. Well, it's nice to meet you. As we've been going through this season of the podcast, we're talking about homelessness as a hydra. So using this image of a snake with multiple heads, um, but all kind of connected in one way or another. And one of those one of those heads is substance use and misuse. So I'm wondering if you could just explain to our listeners kind of what's the nature of substance use and misuse in Anchorage? Like, what do you see um, as folks that are working in that area? Well, I think it's a little difficult to talk about in terms of our vantage point, because that is the population that we serve. So we're obviously immersed in populations who are actively sort of walking through that space of substance use. Um, 
And so we see quite a bit, a bit of it, right? But I, I recognize that that lens is not uh, representative of the whole city of Anchorage. Um, and that in some ways, you know, the, the recent research has sort of described a decrease in various forms of substance use, especially with adolescent populations. Um, but, you know, that was all pre-pandemic, and um, we know that the pandemic has definitely increased substance use kind of across the board and also um, mental health concerns, and those are definitely intertwined. Um, I would say that we work with a variety of youth who you know, may be strictly tobacco use, um, you know, all the way up to, you know, more concerning use around um, heroin, methamphetamine, um, definitely been a rise in concern about fentanyl in our community. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, some, um, some drugs who, that previously weren't um, maybe laced with fentanyl are now coming up as such, um, like including mushrooms and, um, you know, uh, pharmaceutical um, drugs that may be misused um, that either are then taking, thinking they're getting an Adderall or something like that to, to cram for a test, but it may have fentanyl in it. Um, so there is a rising concern as far as, as that goes. Mm -hmm. So maybe we'll just jump right in here um, with what I'm really interested in understanding from your perspective is how does substance use and misuse contribute to folks ending up on the street or ending up homeless? Or how does being homeless contribute to folks um, using or misusing substances? So kind of both directions or both parts of that side of the coin there. Is that something you could help us understand a little bit better? I don't, I don't necessarily believe that um, substance use or misuse um, is what leads to homelessness. Um, or, you know, like, yeah, if you're homeless and you use, but prior maybe your substance use, like for me, it got worse because I was homeless. I lost all of the things, but like, um, 10 plus years ago, you know, my addiction started and I had a home and I had, you know, like the life and all the things. Um, I had an aunt who overdosed and she had a beautiful home. She had vehicles, she had all of the things. So it's not necessarily like homelessness isn't the ultimate like ending for you if you have addiction. Um, it just sometimes it, you know, it could be mental illnesses that, you know, you caught, you stop going to work or, um, you stop paying your bills or whatever has like leads you there. I know that my addiction isn't what led me ultimately to being homeless. There was a bunch of other factors um, for me that happened in there. So I do know that when I was homeless, like, yeah, my usage got greater because I didn't see any hope um, that I wasn't going to have my life back, that it just, I was too depressed. I, like I didn't want to, I couldn't think about it, you know, so it, it will get, I would think for everyone, it'll get worse if you're already in that situation, homeless and things like that. But I don't, I don't ultimately think that homelessness is the result of using. Yeah. And then I would add to that as well. I think that's, that's probably a broader misconception, um, you know, sort of community wide that, that folks get hooked on a drug and it sort of overruns their life and then they end up houseless. Um, but it's really, I see problematic substance use as really a symptom of an underlying either mental health concern or lack of resources, supports, love, you know, um, and, and that when you don't have those types of supports in your life and the one thing that brings you comfort 
is maybe a substance mm -hmm. um, that you're going to gravitate gravitate towards using that more. And if, especially when I think about the homeless youth community. So I previously um, did my internship at Covenant House. I did my internship at VOA specifically to work with the houseless community because I had worked with um, youth coming out of child welfare systems, youth coming out of like um, division of juvenile justice. Um, so some of these other services, um, systems of care in our, in our state and in our city um, and would leave those, those services without the supports and resources that they need to become successfully independent, live on their own, make enough money, you know, have the social supports, those types of things um, and then become houseless and then become hooked on, on some substance because when you don't have anywhere to sleep, you don't know uh, where your next meal is going to come from. When you have very limited value or perceived value from people who are passing you, you don't have much to your name. And someone offers you something that's like, hey, going to help you like stay warm, help you stay up through the night so that you, you don't get harmed as a person and your valuables don't get stolen from you. You might say yes to that. Um, and you might find that that keeps you safe and helps you survive living on the streets. And I think that that's something that maybe the broader population doesn't doesn't recognize or understand um, and have a difficult time empathizing with mm -hmm. is that experience and that need to survive on the street and what it takes to survive on the street sometimes. So as I was listening to you both speak about that and the complexity there, one, it doesn't surprise me as we've gone through this this season, the more and more we talk about the issue of of the of homelessness, the the more we learn how complex it is. So the the fact that the answer is not simple and easy doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but you both alluded to sort of misconception, the idea that folks will see um, those that are experiencing homelessness and automatically assume that it's a it's a substance abuse issue that led them to that place. Do you have any thoughts of maybe where that misconception or that stereotype comes from, or, or maybe what's feeding that? And I know this isn't a question I told you I was going to ask, but I just would love to hear sort of where does that misconception come from that seems like, in a way, one of those easy answers people look, are looking for when it comes to this issue? So I've, I've given a, a bit of thought to this and um, kind of the... The piece that got me thinking about it was a TED talk by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, and she's talking about the ACEs study, um, adverse childhood experiences. Many people are very familiar with that study at this point. But the point that she makes is, is that the reason that, that those types of concerns are ignored by the general population is because it would require, it would require us to acknowledge the vulnerability of the human condition and that those folks are not that much different from us. And that is, that is a very difficult thing for someone to do, to, to get to that place of vulnerability and empathy, recognizing that maybe they are just a tragedy away from that experience themselves. Um, and that, that those folks aren't very different from us. Um, and it's much easier to judge and to be afraid um, instead of being curious. Um, and interested in, in the concerns of people that we don't understand and, and have a hard time understanding. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like if, if you are curious and empathetic in that situation, it holds a mirror up to yourself mm -hmm. where you have to start thinking about your own humanity, your own um, way of living in the world, and that maybe you are just one tragedy away from being in a similar circumstance. So it does make sense. It'd be easier than to to create this narrative that separates that person from you so that you can sort of dismiss it and move on throughout your day. 
So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that. That's really helpful actually to think through that. So you both work for VOA for Volunteers of America. Um, tell me a little bit about what you all do in this area around um, mental health and substance use and misuse and, and folks that are experiencing homelessness. So for me, I'm still pretty actually new um, working with um, youth um, and doing the different things that we do do here. So it, it like the harm reduction is definitely something new for me. Um, you know, I've gone through treatment myself and like the residential I worked at, um, it was very much like zero tolerance. If, you know, they find something that looks like something you're kicked out, they don't care if you go right back to jail. They don't care if you go right back to the streets. Like it was, that's just what it was. Um, and the fact that I get to work with these youth and, um, you know, they talk to me about it and they're, oh, they can be open enough with me to say, yeah, you know, I, I relapsed and I messed up. And I said, you know, I'm just here to love and care for you and help you through this. I'm not here to judge you or, um, degrade you or any of those things. Like, what can I do for you? What can I, can I, like, how can I, how can I show up for you? How can I be there for you? Um, and I've, I've built some really close relationships and it's really hard because I have children that like are some of these kids ages, you know, and so it's really hard not to like play that mom role for me. Um, so I've had to like take a step back and I do apologize to them. Like, Hey, I have children your age. Like, you know, I'm sorry that I, I go towards mom mode on you, but that's just how I am. And they, they understand and they appreciate it. Um, but yeah, it's just like building, building it and like also bringing them to their first apartment, like that has been amazing to see them like walk in and they have all this stuff for their apartment and they just want to succeed and do better because now, you know, there's one client that's like, this is my apartment and I will not go back to the streets. So it's just all the services. I mean, I just take them grocery shopping or doctor's appointments or things like that, but it's having that person that shows up, um, no matter what day in, like, phone calls, text messages, meetings, um, that are secured once a week for them. And they know that, you know, someone's going to be there. It just changes their whole outlook on everything. So it's just, for me, it's just showing up and being there for them mm-hmm. no matter what they need, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, Catherine did a really good job of sort of describing really that philosophy of care, sort of how we how we meet these youth in the community. Uh, There's a pretty common saying that gets thrown a lot, which is just, we meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, But that means a lot of things. That means geographically, right? Like we're we're going out to the the homeless shelter to do outreach. We're meeting folks at their apartment. We're meeting folks on the literal street or in their community, wherever they may be. Um, But we're also meeting them where they're at motivationally, where they're at cognitively, where they're at... um, in terms of, you know, what is the thing that they are are going to need today? And that may not meet what maybe society thinks that they need today. Mm-hmm. Like they need a job, they need to make money, they need to have a bank account, they need to like graduate high school, they need all of these other things. We will meet them where they are at with what their needs are today. Um, as far as VOA on a broader continuum, um, one of the things that I really appreciate about our organization is that we kind of hit it at, at all of these different developmental places along the, the term of, of a person's life, right? So like we do prevention work um, on the early end to try to do um, education in communities. We have Time for Life, which is 
um, an educational piece for youth who are in high school who may have been caught with something um, at school. Um, we have kinship care. So we have a whole program dedicated to working with families who have taken on youth um, into their home who may need more support, um, you know, like a grandparent who took on a grandchild um, and, and supporting that family. And, and no substance use has even entered that picture. It's just supporting that family because we know like that's, that's part of that upstream prevention. Um, there's, we have school-based services. So we have folks who are in middle schools, high schools, clinicians who are providing support there um, to the students and also to the, um, the school staff and personnel there. Um, we have intensive outpatient, we have outpatient, we have a residential treatment center for youth under the age of 18 who may require that level of support to keep them safe. Um, and then we have supportive housing. So really, I feel like we cover this, the, the, the gamut of opportunities to intervene at different points in the lifespan to hopefully you know, get, get, get people to living satisfied and full lives, whatever that means for them. So I love that you guys' answer is really relational and sort of scaffolded and meeting folks sort of where they're at. So I, I'd love to hear from you. Like, I think often folks look at an issue like this and think like what they really need, what someone really needs to do is get into like clinical care. But like how much of what you do is sort of clinical and how much of it is just like relational, just being kind of that person that you can call. I mean, I realize that those lines aren't quite that clear, but like. I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that because I'm really struck by kind of the real relational sort of approach to this that that you that you all are taking. Well, I don't I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive, right? Like <laughs> um, relationship is therapeutic, right? Connection is the source of healing. And yeah, we have a ton of clinicians who are trained in a variety of different therapeutic frameworks and evidence evidence based practices and all these other things. Um, but ultimately it's about establishing that relationship that is safe and that if that relationship is safe, then we can work on all the other things, you know, whether that is more intensive therapy or whether that is getting into an apartment or helping them move forward academically, vocationally, et cetera. Um, but that the relationship is the first point. And sometimes that takes a long time because we're working with folks who've come from a lot of broken relationship in their life. Who are they to trust us? <laughs> Just because we we show them and say, "Hey, trust us. We're going to help you." You know. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Do you want to add to that at all? No, that's pretty much yeah. I mean, you have to you really have to work on that relationship first because, like you said. Um, just walking in and saying, hi, I, you know, hi, I'm Catherine. I'm here to help you. Trust me. And they're not, <laughs> they probably had that many times in their lives and they trusted a person and, you know, maybe bad things happen. You never know. And I always tell them like, you know, I, I know it's going to take a little bit for us to get to know each other. And so I just like, I make sure to ask them questions like, Hey, do you mind like out with, before I ask them something that I think might um, be kind of a touchy subject, I always say, may I ask this or, um, you know, like, and then I make sure you can tell me no. Um, and I just really just, okay, what are your basic needs, you know, today? Or what, um, do you just want to go drive around or whatever it is? And just building that conversation and like that relationship, because for me, there's certain things that um, with that peer support um, for me is that I can then share a similar experience to let them know, hey, I have been where you are and I do know how you're feeling. Um, and that has been, 
for me, the biggest part of like opening up those doors for more conversation and trust and things like that. So it's, I think on the clinical end or like case management peer support end, you, you have to build that relationship first, Mm -hmm. most definitely. Is there something about the work that you all do or the issues that you guys kind of deal with around folks that are, um, Work, are, are misusing or using substances or are homeless that that often gets missed that you would want people to know like something that's often missed in the conversation that you'd want to share with listeners I think really I guess the only thing like um I can think of is it's kind of like the way my stepmom had told me um I guess thinking about like it, it, it as far as alcohol and it can pertain to drugs as well um, is that, you know, friends go out for drinks after work one night and those friends go home and they go to bed and they get up and they go, then they, you know, the next day they resume their normal lives, but something happens in an, an addict's brain where they then uh, crave it and have to continually have it in their body just keeps telling them more and more. And so it's just for me, is like getting people to understand that maybe, yes, at first it was a choice, um, but then it became almost like a a basic life necessity because something happened when I put those those substances in my body and just really kind of opening up people's eyes to that or just they're opening their minds, I guess, to it just to have that conversation and maybe really try to understand it from a different point of view, because I mean we're all human and we all have different thoughts on many different things. So why can't this also be something that is, is, is kind of the same and be versatile to talk about. Yeah. That having the openness of having the conversation that we often keep sort of in the dark or whispered in the corners rather than having it out in the open. I appreciate that. So over the last few years in Anchorage, I know there's been quite a discussion about the access to um, treatment. How would you describe like the ability for folks that are wanting to get connected with treatment at this point in time? How easy or hard is that for folks to do um, in Anchorage at the moment? Well, I mean, it depends. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, that's my favorite answer in this, in this service work, because it's a, it's a, it's a moving target and it's a, it's, there's always variability because it depends on, you know, where the youth is at, what they need, what resources they have, um, who they're in contact with, um, and then just what's available. I, I think that it's fair to say that Anchorage has does not have enough housing options, does not have enough um, like work. Uh, uh, the what am I trying to say? Not, I keep wanting to say workplace, but that's not the word I'm trying to say. Um, there, there aren't enough people doing the work, um, you know, in the community. And I don't just mean like organizationally, like there are vacancies in all of the, the mental health and substance use organizations mm-hmm. right now, just like with every other trade or um, service um, that's out there. Um, so, you know, we need more folks who can get trained and, and get engaged and do the work. Um, we need more housing spaces. You know, we just recently are, got a grant so that we can expand our housing services, but it's going to be really difficult to find places that are affordable, um, landlords that are open to working with us, working with this population um, to get them housed. Um, and there are wait lists everywhere for everything. So yes. it's, 
even when we get the funding to do the work, we don't always have the resources that are necessary to make it work. So we're kind of fighting an uphill battle all the time. Um, yeah, so as far as ease of access for us, um, a lot of our youth come from Covenant House Alaska. You know, they're there um, getting services and, and needing to get connected with behavioral health and housing. Um, and, and that's really the population that we serve in our supportive housing program is, is those folks. So in light of all that, with it sounds like capacity to a certain degree, sometimes even when there's funding or the ability to start a program, there's not necessarily the folks with the expertise or the maybe the organizational capacity to get that program off the ground like immediately. With all of that going on and with all the complexity that we've been talking about throughout this, this conversation, I'll ask you, I guess, maybe a, a magical question and maybe a challenging question, but if you each had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in Anchorage, as it relates to your work, like you could just no barriers, like you could just wave your magic wand and it's solved. What would be the thing you would choose to do um, with your magic wand? So like which head of the Hydra do we take out? <laughs> that's, that's a way to think about it is like, yeah, which head do you want to go after? <laughs> the magic sword, maybe. Um, well, you know, I, I, that's, an, that's an impossible question, right? because it is such a complex issue. Um, I think maybe an, an easy one, you know, like, you know, if you build it, they will come. Um, and, and I think that if this were to be true, it would also mean that the level of empathy in the community has, has gone up, the level of understanding and awareness and the dedication to resolving the concern of houselessness in our community. Like if this, those things would have to be true in order for there to be enough housing in all of our city and state to house the folks that live here. Mm -hmm. Housing is a human right. Mm -hmm. Everyone should have a space to call home that is safe, that is secure, that you know that they can go home to at the end of the day um, and not worry about where they will be sleeping um, you know, later that, that same evening or, or be worried about that. And that housing does provide the space to grow in other ways. Um, so um, yeah, just if there was enough housing for everyone. And there are countries that are doing it. So I think that, that there's a way, but it just means that the community has to have that level of investment. I definitely was also gonna say housing. Um, and also that you can't fully make things go away, but if you can provide housing for anybody, just everybody, um, I think it would change a great deal in every community, not just Anchorage, but I mean, I see it, you know, I see it everywhere um, that I drive that it would just, I think it would make a lot of things different. Just everybody deserves to have a home, know where they're sleeping at night, somewhere they can keep their stuff that they don't have to worry about someone stealing it or, you know, getting rained on and their things getting moldy or what, what have you, but definitely housing. So if listeners want to find out more about what VOA does, um, how should they go about contacting you all or looking for that information? I would say go to our website, voaalaska.org. Um, no, I'm getting a no. VOAAK.org. So my last question that we always ask um, all of our guests is this, and that is in the middle of the work that you're doing, is there a spiritual or self-care or um, like mindfulness practice that you do personally that kind of keeps you centered in the midst of all that you're doing? 
I prioritize me time. Um, I never used to do that in my life. You know, and I do have three kids, so definitely didn't do that, but um, they're older and um, my me time might look like going to NA or AA meetings or, um, you know, I, I get my lashes done. So that's like me time going to the gym or taking a nap. Um, you know, that even just like those little things and my kids, um, they understand it. And I even talk to them and tell them like, they need to take time for themselves and they need to take care of themselves and all of that. So really just putting that me time, whatever it looks like, making that a priority. Yeah. And I would say in addition to that, I, I try not to take myself too seriously in this work, right? Like, yeah. I think that's really important because we show up to do really hard work and invest time and energy into folks' lives. But at the end of the day, I have shown up, I have done my best, mm-hmm. I have done what I can do. And, and the outcomes are, are going to be held in the hands of, of the people that we are working with. Like they have that right to live their life however, however they choose. Um, and I am not going to impact that in, in, a, in a direct way. Like I have no power over this. Um, but I have the power to show up and hopefully be a resource and um, a, a positive influence when I can and um, just a source of containment and healing for maybe the stuff that's really, really difficult for the, for them to, to carry around. And so if, if anything, if I can bring some sense of ease, no matter how small, then I feel like I've done my job mm-hmm. and that's enough. Well, thank you both for sharing a little bit about what you do and talking with us. Thanks for taking care of yourselves and for mm-hmm. taking care of our neighbors. It's been wonderful talking with you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. And with all those lessons learned with the crazy long life that I lived already and the scars I earned, I still can't seem to find But loving you just once was worth it, even if I, I can't have you. I've mentioned before on this podcast that urban thinkers Chris Rock and Joel Van Dyke state that cities are transformed at the same level they're created. They're transformed relationally. That statement is a theory of change, and it's a theory of change that can be applied to the hydra of homelessness. In our first three interviews, I've noticed a theme. Maybe you have too. Each of our guests, in one way or another, have encouraged a personal human relationship as key to addressing the hydra of homelessness. What they've each said, in one way or another, is that relationships are the route to transformation. In light of that, I'm left to consider what my relationship is to those who are experiencing homelessness. Am I content with stereotypes and easy answers? Or do I have real human relationships with those experiencing homelessness or those at risk of living on the street? Those are the questions that we should all be asking ourselves. As we heard from Jen and Catherine, relationship is therapeutic. My thanks to Jen O'Neill and Catherine Smith for joining me on this episode. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there.
Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you're informed, inspired, encouraged, or just plain enjoy this podcast, will you do me a favor? You will be rewarded. Go to whatever podcast app you use and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Those ratings, reviews, and subscriptions help more people find and listen to us. I also encourage you to like and follow the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative, the organization behind the Anchorage City Podcast, on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, we're at Anchorage UTC, and on Instagram, we're at Anchorage UTC. So what's the reward? Aside from the warm feeling of knowing you're helping to spread the word about this great podcast, if you rate, review, or subscribe to this podcast, and we hope you do all three, or you share a post about the Anchored City podcast on Facebook or Instagram with the hashtag Anchored City, send proof like a screenshot to anchoredutc at gmail.com along with your snail mail address, and we'll send a little swag out to you. So once again, rate, review, and subscribe for the Anchored City podcast on whatever app you use to listen to this podcast or share a post about the podcast on Facebook or Instagram with the hashtag Anchored City, take a screenshot, send it to our email address, which is anchorageutc at gmail.com, along with your snail mail address, and we'll get you some free swag for helping us get the word out about this podcast. The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hands, and hearts of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lutner. Mm-hmm.